0: Welcome to the FPC Thomas Phil podcast. We believe human life has a designer, so learning to live by design will help you thrive within all your spheres of influence. Today, Dr. Tim Philston will share a message titled, Trust Heals All Wounds, as part of our Unhurried sermon series. The scripture passage for today is John 5, 1-15, which will help us answer the question, Why is trust square one of relationships? Have you ever heard the Russian proverb, trust but verify? Suzanne Massey, presidential speechwriter, imported this popular Russian proverb into U.S. diplomatic parlance at the end of the Cold War. The intent? When trust is hard to come by, at least start somewhere. But we can do better than that. Families and geopolitical relations alike thrive on trust. Trust is square one of every healthy relationship. We often try to find substitutes for trust, but nothing comes close. Today, let us consider how the seeds of trust bear the fruit of peaceful, fruitful relationships.
1: If you have someone in your life who on a scale of one to 10 is at an eight in terms of their trustworthiness, but you're only trusting them at about a three, you've got a problem, you have unfinished business, there is a remedy to that, and the remedy is to learn to trust God, to start with trusting God more. Last week we talked about going from restlessness to rest in terms of the way we we manage our time. This morning, we're going to be talking about going from restlessness to rest in terms of the way that we deal with relationships. We're going to look at a passage in the Gospel of John, John chapter 5, where a paralytic is healed. And in the midst of it, what you're going to see playing in the background is a lack of trust. And the consequences that come from a lack of trust. If we're going to learn to have relationships where we feel at peace and at rest, to go from restlessness to rest, it begins with trust. Greater, deeper, longer trust for God. From the Word of God, John chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Hear God's word this morning. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. <clears throat> in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. At once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. That's kind of good comedy, people, isn't it? Can't make this stuff up. But he answered them, "'The man who healed me, that man said to me, "'Take up your bed and walk.' "'And they asked him, "'Well, who is this man who said to you, "'Take up your bed and walk?' "'Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. "'For Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. "'Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, "'See, you are well. "'Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you.' "'The man went away and told the Jews,' that it was Jesus who healed him. May God bless us today through this, his holy word. Let us pray. God bless this word now, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, internalize it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was young, I... uh, I, I was kind of accident prone, and one time, well, more than one time, on more than one occasion, I I went up to my dad, and I said, Dad, it hurts when I go like this. And he said, like any good dad would, he said, don't go like this. Yeah, I said that many times as a dad, too. Dad, it hurts when I go like this. Well, don't go like this. I thought that would be funnier, because it's pretty funny to me thinking back on it. Some of you feel that way about your relationships. Some of you feel that way about trusting other people. It hurts when I go like this. It hurts when I trust people to a certain level. You've been burned. uh, You've let people in. Maybe maybe there's a, a need to have thicker skin, but maybe there's a need to deal with whatever betrayal you have in your past by learning how to trust God more. Some of you, though, uh, instead, and, and this, this is all of us, uh, some of you are, are barrier builders. Instead of learning to trust God more, you're, you're a barrier builder. Some of you uh, put up barriers and say, okay, I'm just not going to let anybody get too close. You're a barrier builder. It's just kind of like, you know, you, you, you sort of do this. You say, yeah, yeah, come closer, but not really, right? You know people like that. Sometimes it's you, sometimes it's me. Barrier builders. Sometimes we become people pleasers. It's just, it's just easier. You know, just, I'm just going to make life work, make relationships work by just pleasing everybody. And you know, somebody said that anyone who is constantly um, adjusting himself or herself to please everyone will soon whittle himself away. Some of you are pleasing people in order to make life work for you. And some of you are groupies, all right? Some of you uh, just kind of group up, you know? You find a common enemy, you name that person, and you all, you kind of crowd. I I love this. um, Jim Gray is an artist, one of my favorite artists from, um, really, in America, my favorite artist in America. He's from the the Smokies area, and he's always painting uh, pictures of the Smokies, but he has one very... Um, a startling picture of people gathered like, like this, sort of huddled. And it's, uh, under it, it's entitled, Gossip. And when you look closely, if you step back to a certain place, you see the three heads here, but then you can kind of see that it looks like a skull. You know, there's, there's death in that sort of group. There is sowing seeds of death, of disdain, of contempt... But that's, that's, that's kind of how we function sometimes. We, we build barriers, we, we become people pleasers, or we become groupies. We group up and we find a common enemy and we talk about, in order to, to sort of create a, a real false sense of intimacy and trust. Instead, instead, God calls us higher and deeper and further to trust him higher and deeper and further. The way that we relate to God, in other words, when we relate to him higher and deeper and further in trust, the way we relate to God will translate into the way we're able to relate to other people. The trust we have for God becomes our capacity, our ability to trust the people around us. I'm not saying that there, there isn't a, a place to guard your heart. I'm not saying that if somebody burns you, that you should just go jump right back in. If somebody can only be trustworthy at a three, learn to trust them at a three. But if somebody is at an eight and you're only trusting them at level three, there's a problem. And so the solution is higher, deeper, further. Let's take a look. First, to trust God higher to trust him higher is is to deal with God as a person and not a power are you with me think about that for a minute a lot of times what we're uh, we're thinking of when we think of God or when we're approaching God with something some request is that we're thinking he has the power we don't have the power god give me some power right but the key To growing in a relationship with Christ and to becoming all that you're intended to become as a human being is to learn to approach God as a person, not a power. Now, see, what's happening here in this passage is here is someone who has objectified himself. He's, He's sort of become institutionalized in his pity. He's an object of pity. And because he has sort of adopted this... This identity as someone who's a victim He objectifies everyone else as well, including God And so if if I become a victim, if I'm an object of pity Then God is an object of power You don't have a God when you're, when you're thinking in those terms If God is just an object of power, you don't have a God You have, you have an eternal... ATM machine, that's what you've got, right? And, and what I have to do is figure out the code, right? If I can just kind of get the card in there and get the right code, then I'm going to get the blessing from God. That's, that's not God. That's an object of power. That's an eternal ATM machine. And you can see that, that what's happening here is Jesus incisively recognizes this institutionalized mindset of this, of this young man Been sitting by this pool And he asks him Do you want to get well? Now why would he ask that? I'm sitting here I'm Why would he ask that? Do you want to get well? I mean Who wouldn't want to get well? But, but think about it If you become institutionalized As an object of pity If you take on this persona of victim If that's just who you are, to give that up is to do something else. You you can't be healed from that. You can't distance yourself from that without also taking on responsibility. Are you ready to take on the responsibility, he's saying? Do you want to get well? Do you really want what comes with this healing? Because it looks like you've kind of gotten used to wallowing in your pity. It kind of looks like you've gotten used to being the victim. It kind of looks like you've gotten used to being an object of pity and sort of stiff-arming God as this office, this generalized, generic God, uh, this ATM God in the sky who has the power, and you don't have the power. He has the power. You have the pity. And so what we end up doing is we sort of leverage in our lives that pity towards other people as well. Rather than trusting them, we use leverage to try to get what we want. We, we begin to manipulate circumstances. We say, well, I'm this kind of person and you're that kind of person and so you owe me. And so we begin to play this game that objectifies people rather than treating people as people. You see, we do this. And it's an issue of power. But see, when we learn to trust God and approach him as a person, It begins to heal in us this image of ourselves that's an object, not a person. And we begin to think of ourselves as human beings again, people who are capable of trusting other people, people who are capable of even being betrayed by other people and not to be crushed by it. And we begin to create within us. We begin to, to develop within us. God begins to develop within us the capacity to relate well to be healthy in our relationships. You know, that means that God has to be God. That means that when you go to the Garden of Gethsemane and you say, God, remove this, tr- this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. That means that when you're with, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or as they say in veggie Tales, Shakrach and Benny, you know, those three that... That are in in the book of Daniel, and they're in the they're in the fiery furnace, or they're they're being threatened with the fiery furnace in in Babylon, the king of Babylon. And Shadrach, I think it's Shadrach who says, "Our God is able to save us." God, the God, Almighty, Eternal, who was and is and is to come, that God is able to to save us. And then he says three words that that just sit me back on my heels and make me pay closer attention and be quiet. He says, but if not. God is able to save us, but if not, if he doesn't, if he chooses not to. You see, that's not treating God as an object. That's recognizing that God wills the good for us. That's what it means to trust. To trust is to to have confidence that God wills the good for you. To trust somebody is to trust that they are willing your good. And to to trust God higher as a person is to develop the capacity for healthy relationships, square one of which is trust. Second is, In order to develop a healthier relationship with with another person, we have to develop a healthier relationship with God by being willing to go deeper, deeper in trust, even if it means exposing needs that we didn't know were there. Okay, so that's where we're going next. Did you follow that? Let me say it again. Not just to trust God, to treat him as a person, but to go deeper, even if it means exposing needs, exposing things within us, that we've kept hidden, or that we didn't even know were there, to become more self-aware of our needs, is to go deeper with God, to go from the shallow end of the pool, to go to the deeper end of the pool, is to be willing to go places we haven't gone before to have things exposed in us, needs exposed, that we didn't know were there. We have to be willing to do that. You know it's interesting comparing this passage, John five, to Mark chapter two, another healing of another paralytic, because in comparing those you begin to see what Jesus is doing here is he's talking about the needs that we have on the surface and the needs that we have under the surface, the deeper needs. You know in that passage in 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 Mark two, which is you know an iconic passage, most most of you are probably familiar with that tearing off the roof and lowering down. The, the, the man who is a paralytic And Jesus says You know, um, you know Your f- sins are forgiven And, and then the Pharisees question him And then Jesus asks this question He says And it's a very ironic question he says, he says What's easier to say Get up and walk to a paralytic Or your f- sins are forgiven What's easier to say Do you see the irony What is easier to say so, you can't really see that the sins were forgiven. You can't see the condition of sin that needs to be forgiven. You can't see the man who needs to learn how to connect with God and trust. You can't see it. So, maybe you think, oh, it's easy to say that. It's hard to get somebody who can't walk to say, get up and walk. So, he's, he's being very ironical in saying that. But see, he's getting at the same thing here with this man. This man has, has uh, been healed he's able to walk around because the guy who put the universe together spent a little time with him shouldn't surprise us all right any other questions <laughs> right the guy who put the universe together who spoke the universe out of nothing you know we shouldn't have too much trouble with him saying something like that all right but he's able to heal but see here's where jesus goes for he says okay he sees him later in the temple and he says, oh, look, I see that you're healed. You're walking around. And he connects with him again. And the paralytic, the guy at the pool of Bethesda, says, oh, I see. This is the guy that healed me. And Jesus says, you know, be careful that something else doesn't happen. That's worse to you. You can see in his behavior. He's sort of, he, all he's wanted is to get off the island of misfit toys. And now that he's off that island, he's back in the good graces of the temple. He's able to sort of yuck it up with, the, the, with high society. He's, he, he's saying, is that all that you want? You better take care, because your needs go much deeper than the physical and the social. Your needs go much, much deeper. You know, the other night, uh, uh, Daniel Lauderdale, one of our new, uh, one of our new uh, deacons, uh, told a story about being in combat and how, you know, there's an old expression, there are no atheists in foxholes, right? You've heard of that expression, there are no atheists in foxholes. When you're, when you're under fire, everybody believes in God, right? I mean, it's just like that, that, that makes sense. But then what happens when you get out of the foxhole? What happens next? Was that an authentic expression of trust? You begin to see in this man's life, he didn't even know who healed him. Can you imagine? 38 years by a pool, somebody tells you to stand. Wouldn't you think you'd want to stop and get that guy's name? Now, who was that? (laughs) And here he, 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 he can't even tell the religious leaders who it was that healed him. He wasn't willing to go deeper. See, see what Jesus is exposing? He's exposing that this man has a deeper need. So be careful. You've got eternal needs. You're a soul. If you don't attend to those, warning. Warning. We've got to be willing to go deeper in order to, to heal places of trust within us. We've got to be willing to have things exposed in us that we don't even know are there. Now, why would we do that? And this takes, us, this takes us home. This takes us to our last point. Why would we want to do that? That's painful. That's difficult. Yeah, I understand that there's, there's difficulty, that there's a threat of you know, some eternity that we, we don't necessarily want, or there's a threat of not becoming the kind of person... Well, let me show you what Jesus is, is teasing out here. You see, the reason why we go deeper with Jesus is so that we can go further with Jesus. The reason we go deeper with the gospel is so that he can take us further with the gospel, not just there and then, but here and now. To bring a peace and a strength and an ability to relate well to other people means going deeper, to have those things exposed and dealt with, those conditions, not just the symptoms, but to recognize that the very gospel that saves you for eternity can heal you for now. Do you believe that? You know, we, we want to co- sort of keep this, these things separate. Our eternity is out there and our now is here, right? A couple of weeks ago, I talked about that in terms of kids that... You know, when, when children are young, they don't want their food touching on the plate. It's like, okay, I like all these things in my plate, but I don't want them touching, right? And that's how we are sometimes with, with there and then, the eternal part of us or the eternal promise of life, and the here and now. And we kind of compartmentalize and say, well, yeah, this is religious stuff, and Jesus is able to heal back then because he was God and all that. But we don't really necessarily believe that the, that kind of healing happens now. You know, we don't want that stuff touching on the plate. And yet, and yet, and yet, There is a need that we have that is tangible, that you can measure, that you can see. A need to relate better to people in ways that doesn't doesn't say, that put put up barriers. That doesn't say, oh, whatever you say. You know, that, that isn't a pleaser. That doesn't just simply group up and make a common enemy in order to just sort of approximate trust. Have a false sense of trust. You see the gospel that is able to save us for eternity is able and powerful to heal us for now. W- what's happening here is that this this man is is being confronted by the religious rulers for carrying his mat on on Sunday. That's, it's kind of funny to us, but see what was happening was, you know, as as the culture began to encroach as different cultures were encroaching on the kingdom of Israel, the the Jewish leaders created a layer of law, the Jewish law, that helped them see externally whether people were obeying it because they were really trying to preserve the culture as much as they were trying to preserve the the theology or the the essence or the reality of God in the midst of, of his people. And so they began to externalize the faith again. The faith that Jeremiah says, one day it will be written, the covenant will be written on your hearts. And they began to externalize the faith even more and more and and to to create this layer that, 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 that could be policed, right? And so... In, in Article 39 of one of these, these, these laws of what you can do on the Sabbath, they had 39 different things that you, you were were not allowed to do. And, and you're not allowed to do work on the Sabbath. And so th- they saw this, this guy carrying his mat, and, and they said, Hey, you're working. Well, he's not really working. I mean, that's not his occupation. I'm not a mat carrier, right? Well, I, I carry mats for a living. Well, I'm making a lot of money doing the carrying this mat. But see, this is what happens when you start to externalize the law. You begin to trivialize the law. And and as as funny as that is to us, and as trivial as as it is, that's the way we begin to function when we refuse to take the gospel and to continue to apply it to our lives in the places that we want to keep hidden. We're doing the same thing. You see, to go deeper with Jesus is, is to go further with Jesus. To go deeper with the gospel is to enable ourselves to go further. Let me me illustrate this for you in a way that I hope will get internal to you. Kafka wrote, uh, Franz Kafka was a writer in the late 1800s. He he wrote this, this startling book called The Trial. And a man on his 30th birthday was... Accused of something But they wouldn't tell him what it was So here's this man He wakes up on his 30th birthday Authorities show up at his door Knock on his door and they say You have been accused And they well what am I accused of Well we're not telling you We're not going to tell you what you're accused of But you're accused you stand accused And for the next year His 30th year He is sitting there sweating it out Wondering What is it? What, what did I do? Now, you've experienced this, right? Right? You see the lights behind you and you don't think you're speeding, but you start to, your, your mind starts going, what was it? Was it a stop sign? Was it this thing? Is it my tag? Did it? My? You start asking yourself all these questions, right? What is it? Right? Or when you're young, you know, you got to go to the principal's office. Or you get a letter from the IRS, right? And it's like, oh, man, I start thinking back at about the last three years of taxes. Was I, was I really honest about this? Did I, did I, did I record everything? You see? Y'all, some of y'all are starting to sweat, aren't you? <laughs> I know you should be. So for the next year, this 30-year-old is just sitting here thinking, what am I accused of? And it drives him crazy. Why? Because of the human condition, because of the condition that we all have. We all know, we all know, despite the barriers, despite the people pleasing, despite the groupthink, we know that it goes deep. We know that, that the condition of our heart, art's darkness, goes, goes deep. And so we're already, you're thinking, you know, Tim, let's just, let's just go get some ice cream. Okay. Let's stop thinking about all this stuff. Let's just go get some ice cream. You know, let's be happy. I understand that. But what Jesus is doing is, out of compassion is he's willing our good and we can trust him. And when you and I begin to allow him to expose things in us that we didn't even know were there, when we take the gospel that's able to save us for eternity and trust that it's it's going to be equal to our need in the here and now, especially in terms of relationship, And we can begin to become more self-aware about the kind of person we're inflicting on the people around us. The kind of self-loathing, this, the negative self-talk. I was talking with somebody within the past year who's a real high flyer, a great, uh, a, a, a really accomplished person, very, very bright person, and was talking to me about, all of his negative self-talk. And I'm thinking, see, it's just everybody. I mean, if, if, if this guy also has negative self-talk, I mean, who doesn't have it? We all have it. Why? Because, And so then we're dealing with it in ways that are not really dealing with the condition. We're dealing with the externals. We're, we're dealing with the symptoms. And then we take that into our relationships. Instead, instead. As E.E. Cummings has said, the hardest battle is to be nobody but yourself in a world that's done its best night and day to make you like everybody else. The hardest battle is to be nobody but yourself in a world that's done its best night and day to make you like everybody else. Who are you, who, 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 whose battle is that? Who are you fighting in this battle? You're fighting you. I'm fighting me. What gives us the confidence to just be where we are? To be somewhere between zero and 100%, somewhere on that scale of one to 10. To be who we are. Where's the confidence come from? To enter and to move towards people with strength to move towards people with humility, to move towards people with vulnerability, to move towards people with transparency, to move towards people with honesty and and, and, and a willingness to be accessible. That comes from trusting God higher and deeper and taking the gospel further. Let's pray together. Holy God, how we thank you that you lived this kind of life and that you've not lived it to be an example for us to follow but you've lived it to substitute yourself for us on the cross to give us the power not only for eternity but for now Lord may we know this love the love that wills our good may we trust you more Lord that we may move out into the world and towards one another with redemptive purposes and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.